Welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. I'm Johnson Wagner, joined alongside by my good friend, Brendan DeYoung. We're going to take a look back on the season that has been and a look ahead towards the year's final major, the Open Championship, the FedEx Cup playoffs, the Ryder Cup, and more. All this coming up next. Today's Five Clubs podcast is brought to you by Golf Pride. Golf Pride knows that a grip isn't only a grip. It's the one piece of equipment in your hands on every single shot. You might not know it, but it has a huge impact on your game. In fact, Golf Pride recently conducted a first-of-its-kind study showing the impact of worn versus new grips. It showed that on average, a focus group of adept golfers gained an extra two yards of carry when they played with new grips. So what are you waiting for? Refresh your grips. Refresh your game. Visit GolfPride.com today to learn more. Golf Pride. Respect the grip. With that, Brendan, where do you want to start? Well, I think we should start at the very beginning of the season. We saw that exciting finish, Max Homer chipping in, Danny Willett missing that very short putt to get into the playoff. And, uh, well, the, the excitement hasn't really stopped there. It's been a great season so far. It certainly has. My favorite part about that Fortnite championship, him winning and then going straight to the President's Cup from, from Napa. I think Davis Love met him at the airport at 3 a.m. on Monday morning or something like that. And, uh, you know, speaking of President's Cup, I know that's near and dear to your heart. I felt like this year was a bit kind of given a black eye leading into it with guys going over to play the live tour but it turned out to be an awesome event like what were your what were your takeaways yeah it was an awesome event but i, I think you hit the nail on the head there you, you can't help but think if, if a cam smith had been thrown into the mix there i mean obviously an abe answer a couple other guys like that what it could have been you know the, the internationals made a, a great run the last couple days to to make it somewhat close i don't think the result was ever really in question but made it a little bit close. But still, as you say, it, it did. It turned out into a great event. And really, a kind of a coming out party for Tom Kim, so to speak. I mean, I know he won the Wyndham before, but I, I think as far as a President's Cup goes, I think he earned a ton of fans from the U.S. side playing as well he did as well as he did at Quail and with the passion that he showed, fist pumping his way around and would go on later in the fall to win his second event in, in Vegas. Like a, a wonderful start to his PGA Tour year. Yeah, it is. You know, often an opposition player that gets really that excited can be an irritant he hasn't become at all you, as you said he's gained a bunch of fans is really really popular everywhere he goes now and as you say it was it was a coming out party for him and he's taken that confidence into this year and i mean i think it's there's big things coming from that guy as we move along and it looks like he's put on a little bit of weight throughout this season <laughs> in a good way okay. trying to get longer right like i mean not the weight like you've put on well, but <laughs> You know, you know, it can work both ways. I put on weight and I got shorter. You were always just short, but anyway. <laughs> well, he's putting on weight not by eating chicken wings, I think is my point. But so he he, he wins Vegas. He, he strikes up a deal with Nike. He's starting to get fit. And, and one of the things about Tom Kim is that he's a great long iron player, but not necessarily 
you know, can compete off the tee with these guys. But I've noticed him at, at the U.S. Open in other weeks starting to get the ball out there 300-plus, which a young guy, you would think it's a must for him to start picking up that distance. Yeah, very much so. And I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I got to watch him close up when I was in studio doing PJ Tour Live, and he is. He's getting the ball out there. He's hitting it a lot further than he was. And he understood that he needed to to compete. Um, you know, these guys that are not hitting it far, they maybe have three or four weeks where they can really compete. So he figured that out quickly, and, and he's a guy that's willing to put in the work as well. And he's only 21 years old. You think what we were doing at 21, we weren't certainly at the peak of our athletic ability at that time. So it's pretty incredible what he's done. What other takeaways do you have from the fall? Um, how well Seamus Power played. We saw him get that win in Bermuda, follow that up with a third and a fifth. And he was right up there at the top of the FedEx Cup rankings. And he's another guy. He validated that first win that he had got in Kentucky pretty quickly. And you can see that he's getting a lot more comfortable out there as well. He came into that week and Bermuda is the top ranked player in that field. And I find it very impressive. I think he was in the low 60s. And I find it so impressive for a guy that's the top ranked player in the field to perform as well as he did in another week in the fall at the RSM. Brian Harmon, I think, was maybe 18th or 20th in the world. He was the top-ranked player in that event, ended up finishing second. So it's got to be a lot of pressure going into an event with that kind of expectation. Yeah, and even more so for Harm, obviously being the, the hometown kid living there on Sea Island. Um, yeah, that was very impressive to see him compete there. Tony Finau's win in Houston. It was a great fall. I think that designated event structure came out. And as we look into the beginning of 2023, Maui being a designated event, I mean, it doesn't. it's a great event, but now they're letting – Anybody that makes the top 30, it's not really the Tournament of Champions anymore. What, were you, what do you think about that event? I thought the fact that they made that a designated event was a travesty. I thought it was absolutely terrible. You've got a 39-man 30 fi field, and you throw that designated event structure, or designated event label on that. I thought that was terrible. Yeah, thinking next year if they actually go up in points almost to major championship thing, to think of a 39-man field getting that kind of points. But it did deliver a hell of a finish. I mean, Colin Morikawa kind of hadn't really been the same since then. You, you, you Looking at him play those first three rounds, you're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a breakout year for a guy that's already won two majors, but it hasn't panned out that way. No, he had that six-shot lead and, I mean, just absolutely fell apart. There's no other way you could put it there. I mean, essentially got the chipping yips on that grainy, grainy Bermuda. But uh, as you say, has... Uh, Hasn't been the same since. Hasn't been able to, to close the door on any tournaments. And it was a bit, I mean, John Rahm had a nice success in the fall in the DP World Tour Championship. Um, but then John Rahm coming back the way he did on that back nine over Colin Morikawa really set him up for a West Coast that we hadn't really seen out of a guy how good he played this West Coast. Yeah, his next event was the Amex where he followed that up with another win and yeah, just was on absolute fire there for the whole West Coast. He he was in the final group at Torrey Pines, which I know Max Homa getting his second win of the year came back to, to beat him. He was in the final group with Scheffler and uh, Nick Taylor at the Waste Management Phoenix Open, which is where Scheffler kind of stamped his legacy on that event and just, you know, a little preview as to how good a golf he was going to play. But, you know, and then Rom would go on to win LA, which is which was a designated event. So how did those designated events on that West Coast feel to you, uh, especially Phoenix and LA? Listen, I, I think they produced great results. Now, would your fields have been that different if it hadn't been a designated event? It may be one or two players that you added to the mix. I Listen, I, I totally understand why they're doing it. Everybody does want to see the best guys playing, but 
I still don't think that you need the best players to have a great tournament or have a great result. Yeah, because with L.A. more so, the the top guys always go to L.A. and play. But Phoenix, I thought it brought guys like McElroy, Spieth, and, and guys that don't normally play Phoenix because it's not everybody's cup of tea. I know personally one year I was in the third to last group Saturday, and it was a nightmare. I, don't, I didn't want to go back. Now I want to go back and be part of the crowd, but it, it's not everybody's cup of tea in Phoenix, and I thought that it delivered an incredible field and a wonderful environment at a place that didn't even really need that kind of field. Yeah, you know, Phoenix, as we've, we've talked about this before, it's one of those weeks that's great for a week. You wouldn't want to do it the entire year that would get old really really quickly and i think we've talked at length about those designated events but having a guy like nick taylor in that final group with the top two players in the world and and going toe-to-toe really speaks to our point of feeling like these designated events being 70 80 man fields next year just a mistake well nick taylor will be in them next year but a guy like that even keith mitchell in la what were some of the the feel-good stories for you on that west coast De- definitely nick taylor that that's the one that jumps to mind amongst all those those big names battling them down the stretch and as you say if we eliminate these those sort of guys, not a Nick Taylor, because as you say, he's played his way in next year, but we eliminate that sort of player from those. And that completely takes away that story. And, and we don't want to lose that Cinderella story in essence. Because we know as players that are, you know, mid-tier players, we you were a President's Cup player. I would consider you way higher tier than me. But we are... We, <laughs> That's the nicest thing you've ever well, said. I mean, I'm trying to be nice. I, I'm going to set you up here for failure okay. in a minute. Well, I appreciate but, it. But like... Why is it like we're we're the ones playing the pro-ams? We're the ones doing you know the dirty work, so to speak, with sponsor value stuff. I just feel like it just doesn't make sense. Like the World Golf Championship model failed. They had the seventy to eighty man fields, and you have guys that are guaranteed to make cuts that are just going to show up for the weekend for a check. And I, I just I love these stories, and we've had them time and time again. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to think. Keith Mitchell wouldn't have been in them. He had a great week in L.A. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other examples and. Kurt, Kurt Kitayama yeah. at Bay Hill. Um, he may have been – I don't think he was top 50 last year, but really close to being that guy. Yeah. Um, Bay Hill was another one, just a fabulous – and it's weird to me, Bay Hill being a 120-man field. I was working opposite that week in, in, uh, in Puerto Rico, and there were guys – I think five or six guys in the Puerto Rico field that ended up playing the players championship the very next week. So I think technically Bay Hill had a stronger field right. than the players, which was, which was a weird sort of sensation this year. Yeah. You would think obviously the players being the flagship event, you want that as the strongest field, but yeah, you know, 120 man field, you could see how that would work out, but yeah, not what you'd expect. And you had, I guess maybe at the time, probably 25 live players that were in the top hundred, the players, if you're in the top hundred in the world, you're always in the players. And so I think for me, that's why that field was so different. Yeah. Um, because of the fact that you had those top 25 guys that just weren't there and playing, but Scotty Scheffler at the players championship. That was, uh, I mean, well, Scotty Scheffler players championship and forward. I mean, it's just been a ball striking exhibition and listen, he, he is as of right now, the undisputed world number one, he is the one that's brought that level of consistency above the, 
what I would call the big three at the moment. He has brought that level of consistency that the other two guys haven't being John Rahm and Rory McIlroy. Um, but yeah, just put on an absolute display at the players. What do you think makes Scotty such a good ball striker? Why has he been able to be so consistent for a year and a half, almost two years now his ball striking has been next level? What is it about his game that speaks to you? I think the fact that he has been willing to stay with the same coach hasn't tinkered at all. Randy Smith obviously knows Scotty's game so, so well. Hasn't hasn't tinkered and believes in what he's doing. Obviously, you know, you watch Scotty Scheffler play for the first time and you see these feet going all over the place. It wouldn't be the first thing you'd teach as a coach, but he trusts what he's doing. And I mean, well, obviously the proof is in the pudding right there. And and to me, you remember Mark Kalkovecki, he had that kind of right foot drag yeah. move. And you're a, were, you're not anymore a fader of the golf ball. Now you hit smother hooks that go about 210 in the air. But as a fader, when you were playing good golf, as a fader of the ball, did you ever kind of feel like your right foot could slip? And what is that? Like that gets you just to your left side fully released? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly it. It's a release cut. And that's what Scotty's hitting. You can see that there is no hang on there. That is a, it is a full release. And yeah, that, uh, that gets you to that get you to a good finish and so we had some events on the on in the florida swing i want to shout out chris kirk and the yeah. honda classic and i'm so sad that one of the longest running sponsors of the pga tour is now gone because they weren't given that designated role and this they knew for six eight months that this was going to be the last time but chris kirk eric cole playoff at the honda do you buy into anything that the tour is saying is that having these shorter fields are going to lead to better non-designated events I see where they're coming from. I really do, but I, I still I don't like it. I really don't. I, I like I like the full field events. Um, but yeah, as you say, talking about Chris Kirk, what a great story. Was very open about his troubles um, off the golf course. Um, took the took the necessary steps that he needed to. Took care of himself, and great to see him back in the winner's circle. And what a great finish. And, and a guy like in a, in a day with technology that you can't really draw the ball consistently anymore. I think Kirk. I hate to even say the guy's name, but Bryson DeChambeau. Those are only the only two guys I can think of at the top of my head that can actually draw a driver these days. Uh, yeah, there's not many. I mean, even Rory McIlroy used to play that predominant right-to-left flight. That's kind of gone away now. Yeah, I mean, he's working it more both ways. But another non-designated event with a winner that I thought was impressive, Justin Rose at Pebble Beach. I thought bring coming back, hadn't won in four-plus years, really positioned himself to have a big role at the Ryder Cup this year. Yeah, and you know, I think that goes back to what we're saying, that you don't need to have these designated events to have great events and great results and great finishes. Yeah, I think a lot of people in the media world, they look at a field like Pebble Beach or Honda, and they're like, oh, this is going to be a terrible week, terrible week. But it's it's our job. Like, there are always good stories on the PGA yeah. Tour. And Chris Kirk's now, what, a five-time winner? Right. And right. Justin Rose is a, a U.S. Open champ, a, a Ryder Cup hero, a, an Olympic gold, gold medalist. Like, yeah. I, I just, I, I love these non-designated events. And it's funny, as we look forward to, like, how broken the designated event model is anyway, because none of the sponsors want to pony up for the cash to do it and that's yeah. why the pga tours forced to go down this road they're going down yeah yeah it's uh, it's gonna be very interesting there's still uh still very fluid obviously the situation there's gonna be a lot of questions that are unanswered i think it's time to take a look at the masters this yes. was the first year in a while you weren't there i wasn't there yeah i've been the last three years i was uh, i was in england watching some soccer at the time but uh yeah great great result and you know this was we didn't really know what to expect this was the live players coming back what was their reception going to be like? And, you know, from 
what we heard for the most part, it was all very, very civil. There was no unrest in that uh, champions champions uh, dinner. And uh, well, obviously Brooks Kepka fared really, really well. Took the fifty-four hole lead into Sunday, and well, he got pipped by John Rahm, who played some great, great golf. You know, I don't think anybody was really picking John Rahm after the West Coast he had opened up Bay Hill with like seven under par and was leading Bay Hill, and then it seemed like from Bay Hill through the players where he withdrew to, uh, due to illness was kind of off the map going into that Masters, and he was just and even double bogeyed his first hole. Yeah. Like, how often does a major champion double bogey their first hole and go on to win? Yeah, I, I double bogeyed my first hole at the Masters. I, I didn't come back to win. but uh, <laughs> You made the cut, though. I did make the cut. Um, yeah, you know, I think all the talk going into Augusta was McElroy, right? It was all about, can Rory get that, finally get that career grand slam? And oh, I, I've got to put that down to one of the biggest disappointments of the year, the way he played at, played at Augusta. The way he played at Augusta, and we'll look more into him withdrawing from the RBC after he had already missed Kapalua. So he kind of thrown himself out of the player impact program. I think all of that now doesn't quite matter <laughs> right. as much as it did. I think they're going to find a way to compensate him, but Rory was a disappointment. Jordan Spieth was a little bit of a disappointment at the, at the masters, but then Scotty Scheffler just continuing to put it on and uh, Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson, both finishing second kind of opened everybody's eyes to, okay, wait a second. These guys that are playing live can still compete in these majors, and you ended up calling Brooks's win at the PGA. Yeah, but yeah, getting back to Augusta, it was, it was a big unknown, right? Like, all we had seen these guys in passing with some shorts on playing 54-hole events. We didn't know how sharp their games were going to be, but we were a little quick to forget just how good some of these guys really are. You know, obviously, Brooks Kepka is major Brooks, right? So... It, uh, it was a sign of things to come. And he won that week before on the Live Tour at uh, a place you and I are very familiar with, Orange County National. Too many Q schools there. Too many Q schools. Uh, and not that that's the best prep for Augusta, but it was amazing. And once you saw him actually do something positive on the Live Tour, and he came in, his interviews pre, uh, pre-tournament at, at Augusta, he looked like the old Brooks, the confident Brooks, healthy, just a killer yeah you know i think it goes to prove that if if you're playing good golf it doesn't really matter where you're playing you're gonna bring confidence in right you know you're playing well at home you go to a tournament you feel confident and so you ready to move past the masters yeah i think so so we had the rbc heritage which was a designated event the week after and i just felt like for me i was covering that event for golf channel uh, in studio and it just didn't feel like the other designated events did pre-major championship yeah. season and we were delivered a great finish uh with uh, fitzpatrick and spieth in a playoff and i think by sunday it had that feel but i i and it's of my opinion that these designated events once major season started have just kind of steadily at least from my interest perspective, has gone down dramatically. I agree 100%. You know, it felt like at the beginning of that week at RBC that a lot of guys didn't really want to be there. Like, this is what we've signed up for, but we don't really want to be here. You know, we saw John Rahm really struggle that first round, and then he dug deep. He did. He dug deep to make the cut and actually turn it into a good week. But uh, yeah, it was it was sluggish starting out that week. Really sluggish. It was sluggish, and and to look ahead to like the Wells Fargo as well, which is an event that I know we both love, important to us. It didn't have the feel either. You, you didn't have Scheffler. You didn't have Rom. There was the top two players in the world weren't there. So it, it just it it seems like these twenty million dollar purses are great, but players don't 
necessarily care so much about the money as they do their schedule and setting themselves up for future events. Yeah, you know, I think guys ultimately still want to make sure that they're peaking in the majors and they're going to set their schedule as such. And, um, you know, whether that means having to take off an event or in McElroy's case, having to pay a penalty in, in essence, as a, again, we'll see how that pans out. But yeah, I think these guys want to peak for those four weeks and they're still going to do what it takes. Right, because Scheffler took off Wells, he is from Dallas. So he played Dallas PGA Championship and Colonial. And and I just wonder going forward how the tour is going to set this schedule up to entice players to want to come play these big purses. Because I remember back when we were playing, uh, a tournament director would complain about how the tour makes them bump their purses up every year and he came uh, i remember I, I don't remember the exact tournament director but he came up to me he said do you have any idea what the purse is this week i was like i don't know six million he's like seven and a half million dollars yeah. to my point of it was to his point that players don't really pay attention to the size of the purse that much and i think as these designated events become the norm yeah. we're going to see more and more guys taking them off because either they don't like the course or they don't fit into their schedule yeah i, I agree 100 percent. you can't offer these guys enough money right now to make them want to go and play it's just it's not going to happen and i mean first thing is if I was one of these designated events, I don't want to be the week after a major. No, and it's, we just saw it with the Travelers Championship. Yeah. We saw it with RBC, Travelers, and what's after the Open Championship? I think is Wyndham maybe, so or, or 3M. So it's, it's that's not designated, but they've got to get that figured out. Would rather have a designated event leading into a major so guys can play their way into yes. form. The week after is just not going to be something that guys buy into. You spend all your energy getting ready, and there's just no chance that you're going to be able to do it. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's these guys will not be playing the weeks after majors that guys just don't want to play we saw it with rbc and as you say we saw it with the travelers last week yeah and i i didn't i mean i watched a little bit sunday of the travelers but it just did not i love that event but you see the scores guys are shooting and it just didn't it just didn't bring it to me we had some news come out mid-season about usga rolling back the golf ball and and personally for me I'm fine with it. And after watching the U.S. Open at LACC, and the and I know the fairways were firm, but it wasn't super hot. The distances these guys are hitting, like where where where's your stance on the rollback, and and whether it should be across all of golf or or anything. I'm for it. I really am. I, I agree with you. It's it's well, we saw it last week with travels it's making a lot of golf courses obsolete we heard McElroy talk about it the golf ball is just going too far now listen these these guys are still going to figure out how to get it out there but there needs to be something done it's it's going to eliminate so many golf courses if we keep going the way that we are yeah and travelers is a perfect example they were innovative back in 2015 i believe they took shot link data from the previous 10 years and kind of redesigned the golf course moving bunkers in certain places that they thought were not going to be carryable and then now on 18 at travelers do you see guys like rory and all the bombers just sending it down there and flipping little wedges into what used to be a long brutal par four yeah you know i, I watched mcelroy hit some kind of heel cut out there and it, it flew the bunker by 30 yards down that right side it's it's just it's it's absolutely ridiculous how far they're hitting it let's let's talk about the pga championship for a little bit uh golf course i was there doing radio that week and i i walked the I walked the, the the inside the rope said I had to be within an arm length of the of the rope line. And so I walked Thursday and or Friday and my legs have never been so tired. The rough was the real deal out there. Did that feel more like a US Open to you this year than LACC did? Yeah, very much so. It was a it it was a 
essentially a US Open setup with that rough. You know, it was it was hack out rough. There were some almost impossible par fours out there. I think it was the sixth hole that that averaged four point seven for a while. Um yeah, the way they set that golf course up, it was. It felt just like a US Open. And again to US Open, I wanted to ask you, you were obviously out at LACC. Did that feel like a US Open? It didn't. I was out there Monday afternoon and took a ride around the golf course, walked around a little bit, and there was not a soul. Now, it was late afternoon on a Monday, but U.S. Opens, I mean, it's packed wall to wall with people. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, it picked up a little bit. Uh, The golf course itself, I was looking so forward to seeing it. And and I thought the golf course showed out well. I think maybe some setup stuff, they could have narrowed some fairways and could have gotten it firmer. Uh, They hadn't had rain in a long time. And and so I I think the USGA maybe was a little bit cautious leading into that event. And I, I almost think that, I mean, you know how much players complain about USGA setups. And I think they've almost gone the other direction and are placating to the top players so much. Don't want players to get mad at the USGA. They, they got all this rollback discussion that players are not hating. So I think they're, I think they're, I think they're being too kind to PGA tour players because I want a US open to be bad. I want it to be tough. I want two under par winning. And I just don't know that there's a way to set up places to make it that hard. Yeah, I, I agree with you to an extent. And I, I think, yes, you do want your scores there, but you don't want to set it up gimmicky to get to that. And I feel like the USGA, for a, a period there, they set up the golf courses with gimmicks, you know, be it holes on slopes or whatever it might be, to get to that certain score that they'd set it. You don't ever want it to get to that. Now, I got no problem with them not watering the greens, you know, for maybe a couple days even if that's what it takes to get the greens like this right um but you hate to see them get gimmick a guy shinnecock and yeah. shinnecock come both the last couple times it's been at shinnecock it has just been an absolute nightmare on a one of the most classic golf courses and i don't know if that's members not wanting the scores to be too low or, or whatever it is but and i think having i i, I do think it is nice there is a balance to be found, and I think they're yeah. trying to strike that balance. They I mean they hired Jason Gore years ago, and now he's with the tour. But Scott Langley's there, and I think they're helping sort of rebrand the USGA's identity. And then it doesn't have to be an even par winning. Sport. Yeah, and I guess my point there was that it was easy to see how they were a little bit gun shy and went went the other way with it. Right? Didn't want to hear the complaining. Didn't want to hear you know. They're the, still complaining. Oh, there's always going to be complaining. We're, we're golfers, right? It's it's part of it. Um. Leading into the U.S. Open, Canadian Open Week, we had that sort of PIF, Public Investment Fund, tour partnership. I mean, what, what are your thoughts there, and how do you feel like that's going to shake out going forward? I think we all thought it was going to happen at some point, and I, if anybody says they saw it happening this quickly, they're lying. It, it was, it was a, a big bomb that got dropped. Um, nobody figured that it was going to happen this quickly. Obviously, there's going to be a whole lot of stuff that still needs to be ironed out. I, I would love to be a fly on the wall to hear all those conversations and hear what's going on. But uh, yeah, that was a major bombshell that got dropped. And I just wonder, with none of the sponsors necessarily, they, they want to be designated. They just don't want to pony up the extra you know, $8, 10000000 million that it's going to need to. And 
now the there was just a player meeting last week at Travelers, and they kind of came up with the set in stone. Any of the invitationals are still going to be 70 to 80 man fields, but with a cut down to like 45 or 50. Um, I just don't think that the tour is really looking to their sponsors because a lot of those events, they want full fields. That's, yeah. how, you get hospita- that's how you get right. hospitality venues. That's how you get more people playing Monday Pro-Ams, which drives a ton of revenue for those events and for the charity. So it's going to be interesting to see like, – if this new company that the PGA Tour and PIF are trying to set up, like how, how are they going to feed money into the nonprofit aspect of the PGA Tour without necessarily having a Ramco be the sponsor of all these events? Yeah. No, and right, to get to your point, you want people out there. You want people around the golf course for as long as possible. Now you've cut it to 40, 45 guys on the weekend. Well, you're only going to have so many tee times. and. People aren't going to be around all day spending money on beer, spending money on hospitality. And I, I don't like it. I don't like that model at all. Uh, I just, it, it's, it's so confusing. It, it, it seems like every decision that's been made has, has gone towards more of that live model with smaller fields. And it just, it's as, as much as the tours put their foot in their mouth, I, I think that they're basically realizing, well, maybe our model that we've had working for 60, 70 years, maybe it isn't the model. Maybe we have to transition to this new one, but it's going to be weird seeing the DP world tour has taken a hit this year. Yeah. The Rolex series went from maybe eight events last year down to four and yeah. three of them were already, or three of them were already played in the middle East. And I, I I'm, feeling really bad for that dp world tour yeah they they kind of feel like they've been thrown in a blender they, they don't really know which direction they're going do they partner here do they partner here they they doesn't seem to be doesn't really have an identity at the moment um we'll see going forward if some things are going to change but yeah i agree i think they have been hit the hardest right now because all their top players they 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 don't if you watch a regular DP World Tour event, you're not getting McElroy once a month like you used to, or yeah. a Rom even. They're playing their national opens, yep. and then maybe a couple of these Rolex events. I don't think they necessarily have to play 11 events anymore to even keep their membership. It's maybe it's, maybe Scotland just to get ready for the Open, maybe get a little Lynx feel. But yeah, other than that, I agree. They they're, they're not over there playing, and it used to be you. You could you could turn it on and you, one of those guys would be over there once a month, maybe a couple times a month playing. And do you think I've 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 been kind of thinking about a potential sort of uh, if this designated event thing and if they created sort of this global world tour, do you see any way that the PGA Tour lower end stuff and the DP World Tour can sort of merge and have a secondary global tour? Do you see golf headed that way, or do you think it's going to remain sort of U.S. based? It does feel like that would work. I think if you take, obviously, the top players on the DP World Tour and then essentially the second tier on the PGA Tour, you would have a very, very strong tour there. And I do think that would work. I have no idea if that is even in the mix as as far as being talked about. You'd probably know more about that than I do. Um, But I do think that would work. Well, I mean, with Barracuda and Barbasol both being co-sanctioned as well as the Scottish Open. I I think they're dipping their toe into the water. I think it would be nice. And I've often thought too, you know, the DP World Tour is getting 10 spots over to the PGA Tour next year. Q School's only getting five spots. I think 
our PGA Tour Q school should have at least the next 10 guys be able to go and have the opportunity to go play in Europe if they wanted to. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine if you were 22 years old, you just missed your card at Q school, wouldn't you love the opportunity to go play in Europe for a year? Oh, like a, a Brooks Kepka did it. Peter Uline did it. Yeah, uh, those guys, Adam Scott. Adam Scott did it. Those guys came out ready. Ernie Els, Nick Price, a lot of guys have done that. Started in Europe and then made their way to the States. And I, I do, I think that would be a great pathway. And it has not been a very common path. I think maybe a, a Dylan Wood maybe played over there for a couple of years and uh, but it's not something that players have been have been doing a lot so this year obviously we've had some dominant players with Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm but uh, who are some surprise players to you this year that you you did not expect to break out in a way that they have um Eric Cole would definitely be one. I know, obviously, we'll probably talk about Rookie of the Year later, but he would definitely be one. 35-year-old rookie. You want to go ahead and talk about Rookie yeah, of the Year right now? Yeah, we might as well. Right, we're there. 35-year-old rookie. Not your not your typical rookie right out of there. I have heard he's a bit of a legend on the mini tours down in Florida, which shows good golf breeds to good golf. But, yeah, he would be one. And he, uh, he seems to be uh, popping up a lot more frequently on leaderboards yeah, as well and, now. In big events as well. Yeah. He was up there. His name was up on near the top at the U.S. Open for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Who, who else do you like for Rookie of the Year if it's not Eric Cole? Um, Thomas Dietrich. But as we were talking earlier, is he really a rookie? I know technically he is. But he's been around for a while. Um, I, but his name was one, one that you'd have to throw in there. Who else? Uh, Taylor Montgomery, who had yeah. an outstanding start to his season in the fall. He had, I don't think he finished outside the top 15, basically through his first eight or nine starts. But he's definitely cooled off as of late. Yeah, he. I mean, he came out all guns blazing. You're right there. I think he was top 15, five events in a row. And he must've thought the PGA tour was pretty easy at the time. <laughs> and then it started, it started kicking back on him. Yeah. Uh, any, we haven't had a winner. That's a rookie yet this year. Have we? Um, Nico Echevarria that's right. in, uh, in Puerto Rico. That's uh, that's the only one, but I think he followed that with a bunch of missed cuts. Yeah. And... He hasn't done enough. I know a win obviously goes a long way, but if, if I had to pick right now, I think it would be Eric Cole would be my rookie of the year. Yeah. I'd agree with that. You know, over 3 million in earnings already. Um, yeah, he's, he's got to be the front runner at the moment. Obviously, there are still some opportunities for these rookies to get a win now with uh, with these events coming up. Yeah, the summertime schedule gets a little bit different. And as we look at the playoff structure going forward, we start with 70 and then to 50 and then to 30. And obviously, 70 and 50 are huge numbers. I would say arguably, well, top 30 is always big because it gets you in the majors. Yeah. And now it gets you in Maui if you haven't won. But uh, as we look at how... I mean, it was 125 guys made the playoffs before. So do you think that some fields like John Deere, Rocket Mortgage this week, 3M, some fields that have traditionally been weaker, do you think they're going to get a little bump in their in, in their field strength just because guys are on the outside looking in? Yeah, very much so. I think you're going to start seeing a few, few big names that haven't had the kind of season that they were hoping for. I think you're going to start seeing those guys that will add a, a John Deere or a 3M, whatever. And, uh, and I do. I think they're, uh, they're in a good spot for that, for, uh, for helping their fields. Because Wyndham, I think the Wyndham Championship over the last decade has really been in a sweet spot. Yeah. And I now even more so, Wyndham's going to get everybody playing that's not – even they'll get guys that are kind of on that, uh, you know, 49 to 51 bubble because if you can have a nice finish, that you set yourself – up better for success in that first playoff event. Um, do you like this new playoff structure? I actually do. You know, I, I've, everything we've said has been opposed to smaller, smaller fields, but I do. I think 
again, football, how many teams make the playoffs? Now, obviously, basketball, too many teams make the playoffs, whatever. But say football, it's it's the best of the best. And I, I like the fact now that we're starting at 70. I, I think that's great. And you've, you've had to have had a really good year. You could have had a very mediocre year and snuck into that top 120. Right? And then go finish third, and then all of a sudden you're making the tour championship. Yeah, when it's This is definitely a, a better judge of a, of a season throughout. Because yeah. if, you, if you're top 70 and you play that first playoff event, you've got to like your chances of making it to the top 30. If you just go play well two weeks, you're going to be in that top 30. And like you said, football, what, uh, 16 teams make the playoffs? Or maybe maybe it's more now because they have that extra wild card game. But it's not the entire – it's like it, just to keep your job doesn't mean you get the playoffs. And the way they've structured the fall going forward too, I think it brings back more of like our first few years on tour where the playoffs ended, but then you play the fall to see who plays, who keeps their job for next year. Yeah, I like that. I do. I like what they've done there. Um, of all the changes, I feel like that's probably the best one they've made. I would, I would agree with that. And, and I, I think as we look to potential PIF PGA tour partnerships, I, I'm of the belief that, Live is going to fold at some point. If it's not, if they don't play in 24, I think it won't be there in 25. And I think we'll start seeing, I'm calling it the Aramco team series in the fall that can be for those top 70 guys that make the playoffs that don't have to play the fall on PGA Tour. Maybe there's some sort of team format, four or five events, a couple in the U.S., couple globally i mean that would be something if you were top 70 in the world and could go play a team event for 20 plus million dollars would that be something you would have been interested in (laughs) in a heartbeat for so many different reasons i obviously i love the team aspect of it i think that is such a great initiative and i think that would be that would be so much fun i think people would get behind that people would enjoy to watch something like that how do you create the teams how do you make the teams interesting though to where to where to where I would want to root for a team of guys because they all have this in common or they're just my favorite players. How how are the teams? Well, honestly, I think Liv have done a pretty good job of making the teams interesting. You know, you've got the you got your four South Africans, you've got your four Aussies. I, I think that that kind of makes a that makes the the teams interesting. It makes it easy to get behind a team and pull for them. Um, like the Spanish speaking teams as well with Sergio yeah, and Sebastian Munoz right. and, and Ortiz and, and right. Hey, uh, are they on the team together? Yeah, yeah. And I and I think I think that is. I think that makes it fun and I think it would be easy for, for people to get behind. I that. mean, I would love a team, even if they were three man teams, think about like a Seamus Power, Rory McElroy, uh Shane Lowry team. Like that would be I mean, I, I like all those guys anyway. I'm not Irish, but I would root for them. And they gotta drink five Guinness on the first team before they go. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be great. But uh, uh yeah, no, I, I think there are uh, there are many ways, and, and I think again, it's very very fluid. There's going to be a lot of ideas that get thrown out there. There are. It's a crazy time thinking about how much is going on in the game of golf and how how fast everything's changed in the last year and a half, two years with with all this money coming in. And uh, but let's who's your player of the year right now? It's got to be John Rom. It has to be. Purely the fact that he's won four times. Nobody else has won more than twice. I see you sitting back there like you're going to say something profound. But I, I would agree. If I had to vote today, it would be John Rahm. I, I don't think it can be anybody else. Four wins as opposed to two, including a major. Scotty Scheffler has made $2 million more money than he has. He hasn't finished outside the top 12 in the calendar year of 2023. He's been there every single week he's played. If you offered Scotty Scheffler John Rahm's year, do you think he would take it? Uh, yes, he would take the wins in the major for sure. For sure. That's a great point. That's a great point. What does Scotty have to do to 
you know, we've, we've still got one major left. We've got the playoffs. I mean, if he, if he were to not win the open, but win the FedEx cup, does that jump him forward or does he have to win that open championship? Um, if he won the FedEx, I think that would close the gap. I still don't think that that would, uh, would give him player of the year, but I'll throw Wyndham Clark's name in there. Now, if Wyndham Clark wins the open two majors plus a designated event, does that make you start thinking there? Two that, majors in a year? That doesn't happen very often. And that was that was my next question was if, if it's not Rom or, or Scheffler, who would it be? And I, this is just this is it's weird how we think, but I would not have thought about Wyndham Clark there. And speaking, going back to some surprise players, a guy like Wyndham Clark, he was playing in Puerto Rico. He was playing in the Dominican Republic. Yeah. Had a good chance to win in right. the Dominican. And you. People love to dog on these opposite field events, but they're crucial. A guy like Nick Taylor got his first win in Sanderson when it was an opposite field event, and and they're important. And I think Wyndham put himself in contention there in the Dominican, and I think he learned a lot from that going forward that he took to the Wells Fargo. Yeah, and I know you think very strongly about this. You defended the mules, as they were called. Um, you came to their defense, and, and I couldn't agree more that it's so, so important. It's such an important stepping stone. If, if Wyndham Clark doesn't have a really good chance to win there at Corrales in, in the Dominican, does he get it done at Wyndham? You know, at, um, excuse me, at Wells. It's And if he doesn't get it done at Wells, you know certainly he's not going to be able to close the deal the way he did at the U.S. Open. Right. It was some of the most baller short game shots on 11 the up and down oh, on Sunday. And unbelievable. Then, and then on 17, yeah, granted, he had a nice lie and a little bit of green to work with, but he's got a one-shot lead in the U.S. Open over Rory McIlroy on the 71st hole, and he chipped it to four inches. Right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. If, if he doesn't do what he did at Wells... It's not so easy for him to close that out. He made it look like he'd been there many, many times. He really did. And when things got a little shaky, even on 16, he hit it in that fairway bunker and then laid it up, hit it a great wedge, and pretty much should have made that putt. But for me, and tell me if you disagree, Nick Taylor winning the Canadian Open may have been the greatest win I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I... Did you watch to, the playoff? I did watch the playoff. I don't know if it would be the greatest win I've ever seen in my entire life, but it's definitely the story of the year for me. Like okay, making, I'll take that. Making him or watching him make a 70-foot putt in your national open with every single Canadian standing behind the green watching there, watching your good buddy get laid out as he comes to spray you with, with champagne. He was just he was full cork. It was about to just explode all over Nick Taylor. And it got, makes me wish I'd won more so you could have run on the green and got laid out uh, by someone. Have you won? You said one more. <laughs> I did win on the nation. That's true. Tour. That's true. That's true. The uh, the uh, Xerox Open at Aronicoy, if that's I recall, right. 2008. Yeah. Is that right? Sounds about right. Um, but he made putts on 17 and 18 in regulation. The the amount, the, the crowds on TV, uh, it was a hilly place, and down they were down right of the 18th fairway. I, I couldn't believe the amount of support he had and that the vibe of that playoff. And then it started raining, and the, the putts both Fleetwood and right. he made. I th see, Tommy Fleetwood's another guy. Is it surprising to you that he hasn't won a golf tournament oh, yet very. on the PGA Tour? I mean, he's won five times in Europe, I believe. Yeah, very, very surprising. I mean, obviously, he's getting closer and closer. Um, had his opportunities there at uh, in Canada to win in regulation. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Tommy's one of those guys that he's going to win, and he's going to win a bunch. And he's got two, after this year's U.S. Open, he's got two 63s on Sundays in U.S. Opens, tied with only Johnny Miller for lowest final rounds of a U.S. Open. Absolutely shocking the kind of stuff he has. All right, Brendan, it's time for our Ryder Cup teams. All right. 
how you want to do this? Do you want me to start with some American players? Yeah, let's let's talk about an American team, and then and I'll then tell the you where you're wrong, and then we'll, we'll go from there. <laughs> I'm sure you – all right, I'm going to go number one, Scotty Scheffler. Got to be. Scotty is is a lock. He's first in the running. I'm going to give my locks here first. So, Scotty, I believe Wyndham Clark's second right now on the yeah. list. So, I'm going to take him as well. And Brooks Kepka, your boy, is three. I don't see any way he's off of that team. You know, I think Zach Johnson's got to be one of those guys that was pretty happy when this uh, merger as, as such went down <laughs> It didn't even, have, didn't even have to. It, it's not even a question. Brooks Kepka is going to be on that team. Yeah, um, I, I, I think he's a lock. I don't think he's. I think he's just on the outside looking in. But there's no way Jordan Spieth is not going to be on that team. Well, of course you would pick Jordan Spieth. <laughs> well, I mean he's four. I didn't pick him one. <laughs> uh, uh, another one I, I, I think is a lock. A lock. He has not played great really since the West Coast. But I think Max Homa is going to be on that team. Yeah. I think he drives the ball well. I think this golf course over there in Italy is a very difficult. Uh, driving test. I think he's currently inside that top six, he maybe is. right at sixth. Uh, I, I think um, I, I think J- Justin Thomas again, as bad as he's played. I think Justin Thomas has got to be on that team. Pairs too well with Jordan Spieth. Yeah. Uh, and then we got to go Cantlay and Xander um, are also definitely be on the team. So I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I've got eight right there. And this is where I kind of. This is where it gets interesting for me. Do you have a problem with any of these guys being no, on the team? No, so Guaranteed. far so good. Yep. Uh, I think Cam Young has not played that great so far. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be sort of kind of he may be my twelfth pick, but I'm I'm struggling from here. I think Harris English has started playing a lot yep. better, and he was really good on that team uh, back. Uh, Sam Burns. I'm going to put Sam Burns on there. Sam has not played great, but I think he is another one of those guys that can pair with anybody. Um, you got anybody to add to me here that you think's a lock? Um, Keegan Bradley's got to be a lock now. That's a great call. Two two wins on the year. Yep, that's ten. Keegan's got to be a lock. I agree with you. And he's got Ryder Cup experience. He teamed with uh, multiple Ryder Cups, and he and Phil Mickelson had great success. So we got two spots left. Well, I mean, Ricky Fowler has been playing some it. has been playing some really really good I golf. Love it. And, and and like t- uh, talk about a guy that's great in the team room. Yes, Every, yep. everybody would love to play with Ricky. All right, yep. Ricky. Now, I would put Dustin Johnson as my twelfth pick. <sighs> I, I I don't think you can go into this with your strongest twelve and not include Dustin Johnson in there. And and I like that argument. And I I, I probably would take him over. I would probably take him over Cam Young right now. Cam's oh, not showing it to me. He yeah. seems very frustrated. He has not won yet, which I think is as he goes on. I mean, obviously, this is only his second year on tour, but until he shows me that he can win, and he may go ahead and do it. He may do it in a major way here at Hoylake in a couple of weeks, but until he can give me that, I, I, I'm, I'm leaving him off there. I, I, I'm not going to argue with Dustin, especially now. And, and he started playing better at the U.S. Open. I think a lot depends with Dustin, how he does at the Open Championship. But I, I like that. I like him over Cam Young. That's a solid team. I don't see anybody beating him. Like, let's get to your Euro team here. Uh, but a few more Americans now, the guys that are okay. missing out. Like, what, what about a Tony Finau? How do you leave Tony Finau off right. that team? He's the, won twice this year. Yep. Jeez. It's, do it's your an, research, Johnson. It's an absolutely stacked team any way you look at it. Do you got anybody other than Tony? Tony's got to be on that team. Colin Marikawa's name's oh in there. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And? Uh, well, Har- you said Harris English earlier. Yeah. I think Harris is starting to play some really good golf. So now you've got 16, and you've got to figure 12 out of that. Do you like the way we're set up now with – 
six automatic bids, six captain's picks. I mean, do you, I, I think it makes the I think it makes the captain's picks. I think it makes the captain's job so much tougher having so yeah. many. I guess you could argue either side of that. I mean, I would just rather, and maybe he will just go down to the top eight or nine guys and then have theoretically just three picks. Yeah, I, I think so. But I, I think it's one of those things where you've got to look at form a little bit. So if you've, you've said there, uh, Cam Young, not in the greatest of form, if Cam Young is maybe eighth, I don't see him getting picked. I would see him getting bypassed. Because most of his points come from his great play in the majors last yeah, year. That's right. That's right. And so. a guy like Max Homa, who has done nothing in majors and is still that high on the list, I think that speaks to how consistent his, consistent his play has been most of this season. Yeah. No, I, listen, I think any way it stacks up, the top 12 Americans is going to be so, so strong. Now, can they go to Rome and win on the road? Who knows? Well, who are they going to be playing? Well, that's the thing. They're going to be playing a bunch of young guys. Obviously, now Sergio has withdrawn his membership. Lee Which West is a big was, deal for that. Because the European to be on the European team, you have to be a member of the DP World that's Tour. That's right. And they don't have that option. of. A, obviously, we see their Brooks and DJ's names both in their two live guys. The live guys, the Europeans, all withdrew their membership. So they don't have the option of picking those guys. Luke Donald, I say they. Luke Donald doesn't have the option right. of picking those guys. So they're, they're going to be severely depleted. But at the top, obviously, <laughs> really, really strong. John Rahm, yep. Rory McIlroy, yep. um, Tommy Fleetwood, yep. Shane Lowry. You think he's a lock? Yes experience great in the team room okay. i think you need some experience because there are going to be a bunch of rookies on there yep. um turtle hatton yep um i'm trying to think who else is uh got a few names written down justin rose yeah rosie's got a lot right. he's won this year you they talk about the experience you need because you are going to have so many young players and then we start looking at guys that that will be rookies sep straka okay i'm gonna put him over here on the side but I like Sep. I like his game. Drives it long, straight, good fit for that golf yeah, course. Seamus Power. Love that too. And they both played in that uh, back in, in the spring. They both played in that sort of uh, lead-in right. uh, GB&I versus Continental Europe thing. Yeah. And they both played well. Uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick, obviously yeah, a lock. One sure. that we forgot there. Um, yeah. But then after that, there's a couple names that people might not really have heard of. Let's hear him. There's uh, this guy, Yannick Paul. Okay. third on the European points okay. list. German guy. Yep. I'd like to play him. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I would too. Uh, Adrian Moronk. I, I think Moronk's a lock. I think Moronk has played so well. Polish sensation. I love Moronk. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I think he's one of those guys that is a lock, but still will be a rookie on that team. Um, Pablo Arazabal. Is that the guy from Coastal Carolina? I cannot stop thinking of that guy drop kicking that flag. Is it, it's That's the guy, the same right? Guy. Yeah, yeah. Is he going to make the Ryder Cup team? He's, he's certainly on that list right now. Okay, that was incredible. <laughs> Grand Dunes, two thousand two. Uh huh. Just he put his clubs back in the cart, came back out onto the green, and like Bruce lead the flag stick out out of the hole <laughs> and didn't even damage the cup. Uh, were you playing in the group with him? I was playing behind him. I feel like I was playing, but maybe I just know the story. So I, I know I saw it with my well, eyes. Well, they walked off the green and I had my tee in the ground getting ready to hit. And he came back running. I thought he'd left a club. He drop kicked the flag out of the, out of the hole. Didn't damage the hole at all. That's, I mean, I mean, that's it's, it's impressive. Showed a lot of restraint there. <laughs> That's the kind of fire you need on a team. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Maybe we should share that story with Captain Luke. Uh, yeah, maybe so. Um, Adrian Otegi, another another Spanish guy, yep. playing really well as of late. Okay. 
obviously, as we jot these names down on paper, it's uh, it doesn't look like a really fair fight. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw. I, I think you have to have an Italian on that team. I, I think you to get the. I mean. Uh, where are you going to find an Italian to put on that team? Well, Guido Migliazzi had a nice year last year, has not done much this year, which has been a bit unfortunate. But you got to put Molinari on there. One of them. They have to. <laughs> one, either Eduardo or Francesco. Frances- I know Francesco is already, or is Eduardo a, a, an assistant captain? One of them has been named assistant captain. I, you have to put Francesco on that, on that team. He's an open champion. I just feel like he's got to be there. You disagree? Yes, completely. Okay. I, he just he hasn't shown anything that's that says his game's going to stand up to Ryder Cup pressures right now. I understand where you're coming from, but I couldn't agree less. <laughs> what about taking a, you got all these all this young talent? I think there's a world beater out there who just won the PGA Tour U standings and in Ludwig Aberg. What do you think about taking a shot on a guy like that, knowing you're overmatched? Like, let's get this young stud some Ryder Cup experience. I would take him way before I take Francesco Molinari. Okay. And and I do. I think he is a world beater in the makings for sure. And maybe that is. Maybe that's the way to blood somebody. I mean, you go and play in a Ryder Cup and say you perform even half decently, any any kind of pressure after that is going to feel really really easy. And in, in in my last my last ones that I'll throw out there, what about the uh, the uh, Hoygaard twins, the, right. Nikolai and um, uh, Rasmus. Rasmus. Rasmus is pretty high on that uh, the European list right now. I believe uh, inside that top ten. Um, so he he might be that might be a guy. Now obviously there's still some time for these guys. The Open Championship is going to go a long way to determining who makes that European. European Ryder Cup team. Well, I'm going to give I'm going to give our Ryder Cup teams an A plus on both sides, and I think that it's an 80 percent advantage. I think that the U.S. is plus 400 right now. I tend to agree with you there on paper for sure. Now, obviously, again, this golf course is going to get set up as much as they possibly can to help the the European tour, but I think the the Americans are a big big favorite, which is they kind of always are anyway. So we'll have to see, Brendan. Great show. Thank Johnson, you. it's been an absolute pleasure. Enjoyed yeah. it. You the man.